are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the UK. I'm Mike Sullivan, I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. My name is Michael Sullivan, I'm your host of today. Welcome to the first instalment of the Evolution UK React podcast. It's um, today I'm joined by a great panel to discuss how to get the best out of engineers working remotely. Uh, it's actually a pleasure of mine to be on such an extraordinary panel today, as I'm usually at home looking after the kids, so I'll be lots of baby talk. If I'm not there, I'm usually with some friends at the football or in the pub, so the conversation isn't too far away from baby talk. <laughs> it's a topic today that I know a lot of people face when they grow their team or, or had head, head, head counts of the company. Um, before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room um, with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and what you're passionate about. And let's start with you, Andy. Hey, thank you very much, Michael. So <clears throat> I'm Andy Selick. Uh, I'm CTO here at Kantan. Uh, we're an OVO energy funded startup. Uh, and I just want to say, Michael, I do resonate with your, your kind of comments around children and football. So uh, I'm very well there. Um, so here at Cantan, we, we aim to, to provide tradespeople with an operating system that allows them to source intelligent or source work and intelligently schedule that work. So that is making sure that, for example, it's managed on the same day in the same areas so they can save time and money. But it also kind of manages all their administrative needs uh, from one application, which is great. Uh, what am I passionate about? I'm passionate about technology and people, um, two things that I really love. And I think two things that actually kind of come together quite nicely um, when people kind of really put their minds to it. So uh, that, they're my kind of two key passions. And I'm certainly passionate about how we engage with people remotely, um, which is good because it's a key part to this topic. And I think for me, having a international team, so we've got UK based employees, but we've got team, uh, team individuals based around the world. This is kind of truly exciting to me, not only to kind of give my feedback to you guys, but also to kind of hear what you've got and see whether we can implement some of the great ideas that uh, that we kind of get from the rest of the panel as well. Perfect. And yourself, Ashok? Hello, Michael. Uh, and yeah, great to be uh, part of this panel. Uh, clearly a topic that's uh, that seemed to me when I when I started, uh, actually, I'm, it, uh, I was started hanging out in my kid's bedroom, which I thought would probably be about you know, four to six weeks and then, you know, two years on, uh, they've been kicked out and I'm sitting over here. So so clearly something that's, uh, you know, quite real for, I think, all of us, uh, uh, all of us on this panel. Uh, so uh, my role right now, uh, I'm uh, head of technology for uh, ThoughtWorks in the UK. So ThoughtWorks is a global uh, technology consultancy. Uh, we're about uh, 10,000 plus consultants worldwide. Uh, and we have offices in over 17 countries. So, so by nature, we've been distributed and we work with clients across all those geographies. So we've been working with teams that tend to have a strong uh, distributed component to it uh, from the outset. So, so, so trying to figure out how those teams can be effective is something that we've been focusing quite a lot on and we've been doing this over 20 years. Uh, so natural extension of that, of when we've, you know, what does the remote actually mean? And that's sort of taking it one step beyond that as well in terms of not just thinking about people across geographic locations, but even people in the same location being uh, 
not being in the same physical space. Uh, what I'm passionate about, I think, yeah, I can kids and uh, uh, instead of yeah, except football, maybe in the, during summer, it's it's definitely cricket, probably more than than football. Uh, uh, and then yeah, the things that I'm uh, that really are top of mind right now are uh, sustainability. Uh, uh, is is one thing that I'm quite uh, uh, is a topic that I'm being looking at quite a bit right now. Clearly, something that my kids are going to start questioning me about uh, as we sort of as I start retiring and they start figuring out what sort of world we are leaving for them. Brilliant. Thanks, Ashar. And over to you, Gianluca. Thank you, Michael. Um, yeah, I'm Gianluca and CTO at uh, Coma. Coma is a fast growing fintech startup uh, that uh, helps uh, a small and medium company to pay all the boring stuff in in bulk, like bills, payroll, and we do that through open banking. Uh, my background is technical. Uh, I started working in startups in 2011, and I worked across different industries. And uh, in the last year, I've been working at uh, Coma, uh, growing the the team uh, from one person to now uh, 12. And uh, yeah, we are all joining uh, in the next couple of months. And um, yeah, I've been growing the, the team and also the, the product. And uh, when I'm not uh, working, I love being in the mountains. And uh, that's also something, uh, some good part of the working from home because I can work uh, from, uh, from there. And then uh, on the weekend, go um, skiing. Fantastic. You go on this weekend, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and over to you, Julian. Last, month, last but not least. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, Michael. Thank you, everyone, for the great intro. So, yes, I'm Julien. Um, I'm French, uh, but working in London, I work for a company called Zoe. We are a nutrition startup uh, initially, so we try to build a product to help you eat better and healthier. We also behind something called the COVID Symptom Study app uh, that has been quite a success in the UK uh, and that helped uh, the, the government response with, with COVID and led to a lot of uh, Good research uh, on the back of it to understand the symptoms and uh, and generally understand and fight fight COVID. Um, so yeah, Zoe, uh, small startup, about uh, a bit more than 100 people today, uh, a bit um, 30 people in engineering, and we're kind of your typical startup that you know two years ago was fully office based. Uh, now uh, we're not. We actually embrace distributed. So we may be uh, more deliberate about our desire to move to this world, but we were not born distributed. So for us, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting journey and therefore very interesting to hear what everyone has to say um, about that. And uh, outside work, got two kids too. So I can see I'm not the only one. So that keeps me very, very busy, four and seven. Um, and when I'm not busy with them, tend to uh, either watch rugby, play some tag rugby. So this kind of the kind of things that I do. Uh, you know, sometimes a bit of photography, but not too much those days. And uh, a long time ago, traveling. Uh, hopefully, uh, more in the future. <laughs> Fantastic, good panel. Lots of lots of things in common: football, rugby, and cricket. And obviously, the kids keeping us busy. So what we'll do now. We can. We, we've actually got um, a couple question each to yourselves. Um, we've got a number of questions and sub topics to cover. So we'll work around the room 
shortly um, and let you guys ask your question to, to the panel. Um, but we've actually also got a question from Chuck Hardy, the head of engineering from Sales Room, who's actually on our second podcast next week. Um, so I'm sure he'll be keen to listen to your answers to his question, which is, what are your top two strategies for helping engineers build meaningful relationships virtually? And if you want to start with you, Andy. Sure, I think this is a this is a really good question. I think obviously for most of us, the start of the pandemic was a was a very interesting time. Obviously, working remotely was was a, was a challenge for those people that certainly weren't used to it. And I think you know the the first aspect that people noticed was the lack of social interaction with people uh, on a daily basis, and I think that was leading to quite a lot of isolation. So, from our side, we've we've really looked at uh, virtual social engagement. So, how can we get people together um, and not just in a way where they're just on a call and they're having a chat or maybe they're playing some games but how can we actually get them to, to kind of know a bit more about each other in the way that you would do if you were in an office and you maybe headed out for some lunch or maybe you went out after work to, to kind of socialize and we've arranged quite a lot of team events you know some of them are ranging from immersive theater-based experiences uh, which if any of you guys are interested in i can certainly point in the right direction there's some, some really good ones out there through to kind of just, you know, really basic, simple things like um, uh, Drawosaurus. I don't know whether you guys have ever played it, but it's pretty much like Pictionary, amazing game, it certainly engages people. And just generally having conversations, you know, like you would have if you were just out on, on maybe just a, an evening together. So I think that's, that's certainly a good starting place. There's some apps which you can use. One of them that I'd recommend is, is uh, Donuts for Slack. It randomly selects two people to kind of have a conversation together. And actually, in some respects, maybe kind of starts to take you beyond what you would actually have from an office environment, you know, where you have your friendship group and you, you kind of just generally speak to those people and, and, you know, stick stick with those people. Donuts enables you to kind of, uh, it gives you a reason to have contact with people that maybe you wouldn't normally speak to. And I think it's really great as a, as a mechanism to kind of trigger conversation between people that exists outside of just simply talking about work. So that's been really powerful. And we have also something called Book Club. Um, which is really, really great. And I think what's what's great about our book club as part of a kind of a social event, we talk through various books that we've we've kind of read and we have a book um, that we talk about for a given number of weeks until we've worked our way through it. But it enables us to understand how people think and you know what their thoughts about how that, that book might apply in the workplace, but just generally what their likes and dislikes are, what they, what they resonate in with, what they don't resonate with. So it just enables you to kind of get under the skin of who they are a little bit more. The second, I guess, stream, and I wouldn't necessarily declare these strategies, but the second stream is, is kind of work level engagement. So how can we get people to engage together more in a working environment? So things like pairing are you know, a really good starting place and something we actively encourage. Um, spikes, so what's quite cool about spikes is it's more getting two people to kind of come together and consider how they would deliver, deliver something and maybe what the right approach is. So it's getting them to talk about it in the context of uh styles and approaches which is which is quite cool to kind of enable people to just understand again how different people operate and we also we haven't adopted it yet but we're looking to kind of adopt this soon when we first set out uh when i first joined about six months ago we were one squad one team everyone worked together on a, on a daily basis we've we've been a virtual team for quite some time now but what was great about that of course is you you're all working together on a daily basis you can pair with with whoever you like but then we started to get to a size where we needed to split into two squads. And the feedback that came off that initially was quite evident, which was, I actually miss people in the other squad. You know, these are these are friends, the people that I like to engage with, that I like to 
discuss work with. So one thing we're looking at here is, is rotation between squads. And I think that's going to become a very powerful tool to enable us to bring people back together and to enable them to work with each other and to enable them to understand how you know different squads do different things it's good for many reasons including pollination of knowledge but it, it certainly is also good in terms of you know ma managing those relationships and helping people build those relationships with individuals that exist in a in a you know in a separate team in a separate squad so i think that is a again another powerful tool that we will be adopting fantastic great answer andy i don't know if anyone's played wordle in the last month or so but uh, that seems to be bringing a lot of teams closer together, even in our work. And my, my brother's sending me his Wordle results every day at seven in the morning, trying to beat me. So <laughs> it's another way to keep people talking that they you know, might not speak to each other as much. Um, over to you, Shock. Yeah, I think that's a it's a really good list of things uh, Andy sort of mentioned. Uh, I, I think one of the main things in this is uh, trying to also understand where different people are in their sort of overall journey in the company. Uh, because I think one of the things that we all re rely on is is networks and and just, you know, the relationships with people, they evolve over time, right? And some, uh, depending on where you are in, you know, in your relationship sort of journey with someone, you know, people who have been working really closely together, they can almost like second guess, like, you know, like if you have a pair and you've been pairing with them, you can almost guess what their uh, what their answers, what their approach is going to be, and it's quite hard for sort of new people. So I think being quite uh, trying to figure out, you know, different approaches depending on when people might be there in their overall journey, in their com in the company as well, uh, or in a team uh, as well. So you could be like a really experienced person, but you join the to the to Andy's example, recently joining a new team where you might not know others. So one of the things I've seen uh, teams do is uh, be very intentional in that onboarding, like creating like uh, custom playlists. And these playlists could be uh, all the way from, you know, like a, a list of things, you know, YouTube videos, things that you might need to know about the work and about the technologies of the type of project that you are in. But it can also be things like, you know, if you, if you want to be working solo, what's the kind of background music you want to be hearing? Right. And, and that gives an insight into other people's personalities of, on the team that you would uh, you might you would sort of expect to learn if you're in a call, if you're all sort of in the same space, but you might not have an opportunity to do that. Uh, I think another technique I find really uh, useful for that is uh, we talk about like remote like pairing. Uh, for new people sort of coming in, uh, sometimes it can be intimidating, right? You could be early on in your career or new to a technology stack, and sometimes you feel you don't know enough. Uh, and, you know, how to increase that level of trust. Uh, I've seen something called, sort of called remote struggling together. So, you know, especially, you know, production issue, trying to debug something, and just like you could be the most experienced person on the team who's going to take the lead on that, but have someone else who's sort of shadowing them or just like you know seeing what what they are doing to sort of learn that actually not everyone knows everything and it's actually okay to to admit to that and be able to reach out to to others for help so so yeah fantastic i think we can all relate to remote struggling over the last two years so great point i shot and, and yourself john luca um yeah i think uh 
both Andy and, and Ashok uh, mentioned uh, a couple of points that we're already doing. I think something else uh, I'd like to add is uh, um, something we saw that works really well is uh, when someone joins to give them a non-technical body. So it's someone uh, that is outside the, the, the technical team. And uh, this really helps uh, to create a stronger bonds uh, across the company. So we can uh, pair uh, a junior uh, engineer with uh, a junior um, on SDR, so from sales. And it's also helping uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, increasing the product uh, and knowledge of, uh, of the new joiner. Uh, especially because usually sales uh, is more uh, close to the customers and sometimes, especially for new people, they feel a bit uh, distant from the customer. So it's something that is really helping. And also create uh, an environment where everyone can uh, raise the data to, to ask for help, even from the beginning. And usually we have uh, someone who can jump on a quick call and help them so really making uh, uh, this kind of uh, an, an open culture where everyone can help and everyone can ask for, for help. It's really helping to create uh, uh, strong relationships between uh, the engineering team, but also, also with, uh, um, with product uh, and design. Perfect. Thanks, Gianluca. And finally, on this, on, on this question, Julian. Yes, my, my build on everything that was said that was really insightful is that one thing we try to do on our side is being extremely deliberate, so deliberate that we actually bake that into our values uh, because we were very worried about what you described. So, you know, one of our values is actually called moments of joys. Um, and we even bake that into kind of our general growth framework, which is, hey, you know, this is what great looks like for the things. This is how you can help. And that doesn't mean this is mandatory in any way. Uh, we definitely don't want to force people to attend some events they don't want to. But, you know, it's kind of set the stage for uh, kind of, you know, grassroots movement. So, you know, we've got people that organize uh, you know, video games on Wednesday. That is recognized as, uh, as valuable. Uh, same for the person that is going to organize, uh, you know, a virtual pub quiz. Um, and basically, we try to push very grassroots approach by kind of setting the expectations. If you do those things, this is great for the company, even though this is not your, you know, uh, primary contribution. Like, you know, you're a software engineer, you are not hired to organize a pub quiz. But still, that is uh, that is a, a great thing that we would like you to do, and we're creating the space for you uh, and setting those very clear expectations uh, really helps and make people uh, not worry too much about, hey, is that valuable? Yes or no? Yes, it is valuable. Please do it. Fantastic. Cheers, Julian. Great answer. Great answer, everyone. And hope, hopefully you're listening, Chuck, and there's some, some good information for you to take back. If we've got time, we'll um, add your second question towards the end of the podcast. Uh, over to you, Andy, with your question. Thank you very much. So the rise of remote working over the last two years has driven many outwardly visible benefits to well-being. No more long commutes, to name just one. And for me personally, that was a big thing. I used to commute two hours in both directions. However, 67% of respondents, the Royal Society of Public Health, stated they feel less connected to their colleagues. 56% said they found it harder to switch off. And only 34% were offered support for their mental health. Given the known links between mental health and productivity, how do you ensure the mental well-being of your virtual or remote teams and avoid isolation? Ashok, do you want to start with this one? Yeah, I think this is uh, this is probably one of the biggest struggles, uh, Andy, as you 
as you rightly noted, of trying to identify when somebody might be doing that, just because it's it's hard to check in. And you know, I personally have had uh, uh, some colleagues uh, for, for us to for us to actually spot that they they needed help. And you know, you would have it would have been a lot easier to find those clues earlier on than when you are uh, then then when you're on the other side of a uh, of a rectangle on the screen. So. And what we have, um, some of the things we're trying to do much more intentionally is uh, having uh, like more support within the organization for like mental health, uh, uh, either through mental health like support support lines or even creating uh, like-minded sort of community groups of interest. So some of the things like Julian was was mentioning, you know, people might uh, might not open up necessarily in a more formal forum. But you can see those those uh, those clues of how people are actually feeling in, you know, when people are either talking about, you know, the their favorite uh, kind of music or when they're playing sort of video games and how engaged people might or might not be, and that openness of among, like figuring out uh, the support not just from sort of top down but actually in the community and in the network yeah, is something that's that's really important. I think part of that is also even raising the awareness more broadly within the within uh, everybody in an organization about mental health issues uh, and the kind of uh, uh, the kind of things that people need to be watching out for, which is not just about hey, actually I'm feeling tired or jaded, but this might be something related to to burnout. It could be something related to uh, uh, something happening in people's personal lives and actually making it okay that these conversations are are acceptable to have uh, and making sure that there is support within the organization to say yes actually if you aren't feeling if you aren't feeling okay like you don't have to be you don't have to be off ill with some physical ailment you can be off ill with that and and making that acceptable uh, i think that's that's necessary uh, but yeah I, I, it's it's a difficult one this one i don't think there's a there's an easy answer. Uh, I don't think there's an easy answer to this. Agreed. Um, and with regard to um, your answer, John Luca, do you want to go ahead? Um, yeah, I think uh, Ashok made a really good point, a couple of really, really good points. Um, I think for us, it's also really important to have uh, uh, one to ones uh, where they are kind of uh, became uh, some safe space for um, the team members. Um, to have a direct conversation with their uh, lead or with the manager, and when they can bring up uh, anything that can be kind of uh, um, worrying them, and uh, um, and also be able like to reach not just to the like direct manager but also uh, to me on, on anyone else uh, in the in, in the company, and also be the first one like who shows uh, uh, vulnerabilities uh, because yeah we are working from home so. There can be some struggle from working from home for someone. So that really uh, make it something that is acceptable uh, uh, and kind of, uh, that, yeah, that everyone can have. And we are also starting looking at some benefits. So uh, giving also some uh, um, training in terms of uh, um, mind training where you can give them uh, um, tools uh, to cope better with uh, uh, pressure or like with day-to-day -day frustration that can happen, especially on engineering. Uh, yeah, especially also on fast moving uh, um, startups like ours. Perfect. Thanks, Gianluca. And, you, and Julian? 
I'd like to build on some of the things that were said, and um, particularly by, by Ashok in the sense, I think it's really important to multiply the sources of signal. Uh, different people will use different channels. So one-to-one from John Lucas, great ID, communities, great ID. To build on top of that, for example, retrospective, you always get also some you know, signal there, especially if it's kind of anonymous, which is you know, a great uh, way to say, hold on, something is, is weird, we need to dig into it. Um, or for us, we use a tool, um, and I don't have any shares in the company, called, called 15.5, uh, which allow to get a pulse every week and to just get some, you know, to ask people some questions. Um, so the pulse is just, hey, you know, from one to five, um, you know, how good was your week? Or we had did some questions on top of it. Uh, every two weeks, we have a question, which is how sustainable were your last two weeks of work from zero to 10? And that's quite interesting because that gives you a trend at the company level, but also you can spot the very specific people. And I found this is extremely useful in the remote world because if you're not explicitly asked a question, you may never know. It's really hard to know if someone is working six hours a day or 12 hours a day. Uh, you know, you can use Slack as a proxy or you know, they're, they're, they're commit, but it's, it's, just, uh, it's just not in your face. Um, and that makes it um, a lot more in your face and, and, and forces you to, uh, you know, to do something about it. And then maybe on a different angle, because Andy also asked about switch off, I think it's really important to have very, very clear expectations, uh, in particular around what is normal and not normal in terms of you know, communication outside working hours. Um, I don't think there is right or wrong here, but it shouldn't be you know, for any new joiner some kind of long journey to discover what are the norms. It should be pretty clearly set. So if you don't want to people to send email or Slack message in the weekend or don't want them to reply to those, that should be said very, very, very clearly. Uh, or, you know, you should communicate very clearly in your messages that you do not expect an answer right now to just kind of remove the, the, the stress out of it. So I think just all, all this remote work forces you to be a lot more deliberate about a lot of things that would just kind of be codified in, you know, organically in the organization. Uh, now you have to say, no, no, this is, this is really what we want to do. Um, so being, yeah, I, think, I think this would be my, my advice on how to help with that. Perfect, Julian. It's a great question, Andy. Very pertinent, um, especially with everything that's been going on over the last two years. Have you got anything to add um, to what everyone's contributed? I mean, I think the the answers are, are very well rounded, which is which is great, really. And I, it's it's good to see that it's not just an afterthought that people genuinely are considering this because it is so important. You know, it's important not just remotely; it's important in life in general. Um, I mean, some of the things that that we've looked at as an example so exercise in in december we we kind of went for a bit of a charity uh, triathlon between us as a team to try and raise money uh, for charity but i think exercise is a really key part to, to mental well-being as a whole and one of the things is, that's very evident I've, I've fallen into the trap myself is you get to friday and you, you can kind of count the number of times you've been outside properly you know on one hand maybe if you're really bad so getting people to kind of consider that they need to kind of exercise, they need to get outside the house, they need to kind of engage with life as they would do normally. And to, to kind of make sure that happens that, you know, they can't just sit there in that in the same room day in, day out, you know, just walking up and down the stairs um, at, at the best of times. So I think that's one thing. Love to thought about the, the, the pulse survey. I think that's really important um, to certainly get a sense or a guide for how the overarching team is feeling. But 
I guess it can miss the individual, but it does give you a guide as to, to kind of the, the bigger picture. Um, but certain things we've, we've done as well, which I'm sure everyone else has done as well, which would be um, as simple as giving people an office budget. You know, hey, you're at home now. You know, you need to make this work for you. You need to be able to get a divide between work and between personal. And you need to make sure that you're not sitting on your sofa um, doing your job or you're not sitting on worse on your bed doing your job. You need to be able to divide the two <clears throat> so that you can see uh, clearly that there is a line between when you should be working and when you should be just relaxing and enjoying yourself. And I think the problem with working at home is that line becomes very blurred and you, you have to help people to some, some extent draw that line again. So setting up their own office and giving them an office budget to actually get something in place so that is their place of work and outside of that they can they can go and um, be at home as they normally would be. And I think that's that's one of the key things from, from my side as well. Brilliant, Andy. Thanks for that. My, my partner made the decision for me to get that monitor out of the kitchen. <laughs> and I can't stress how important exercise is. Um, you know, the endorphins alone, it's just, just you, every time you do it, you feel better. Um, so, yeah, great points by yourself there, Rand. Um So the, the next question is over to you, Ashok. Great. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Michael. So I, I think this was uh, this is something that uh, I'm sure all of us have been facing. I'm always very curious on how how people deal with it. So uh, as technologists, I think we're quite familiar with uh, with the concept of technical debt, right? So I think what we are now uh, beginning to find is something I I think that might, might even be a term for it, uh, uh, either like information debt or, or, or documentation debt or whatever. Like there are so many sources of information right now uh, in the you know, two years ago, we'd actually rely on our networks, on, on people to do some filtering for us. Uh, and you didn't really have to worry too much about curation, information would, uh, the the thing you, that was important would surface up in mostly, uh, and sometimes it wouldn't, but that's uh, that sort of life. In the, in the world that we are in today, there is with widespread adoption of remote working tools, you know, information overload is a challenge, right? So I, I think for me, question really to the panel is how how are you solving it uh, you know what sort of skills roles uh, or interaction pattern changes have you seen that you're able to try and uh, try and sort of reduce this uh, documentation information debt uh, start for you Zanuka. yeah um, yeah I think that's a really good uh, um, question and especially for us, we that we grow uh, really fast over the last uh, uh, six months. We really saw the the amount of, of of information that we are sharing that we grew uh, more than linear, and so we had to make clear like uh, uh, to that we need to use different channels like Slack for a chat or a discussion and instead more kind of a um like something like notion or confluence to store like uh, the, the decision we take uh, or the documentation we need especially with a lot of new uh, joiners. Um, so we had to put in place some templates for how to structure the documentation, how to structure the, the meeting notes, uh, how to also to share the, 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 the meeting notes with the people who weren't uh, in, the, in the meeting. And, um, and also, I think it's also good to define some guidelines on how people should communicate uh, also on, uh, on Slack. Um, how to structure the channel and define really uh, good uh, um, scopes for the channel so people like uh, they don't go 
out of topic and receive that too many uh, notification because in terms of the notification side it's really an important point uh, because yeah nowadays we have so many notifications for so many things that can be really distracting and also making also uh, okay for people to set some focus time when they switch off all the notification and they can focus on doing some piece of work and, uh, and making that also uh, visible to others so they don't expect uh, an, an immediate uh, um, answer and also especially for uh, a leader or managers uh, where they are they're often on, on meetings uh, be able to let uh, some, someone else can help with answers if someone is asking a, a question so that uh, give the, 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 the team the tool and the documentation to be able to help everyone and um, yeah, and sometimes when uh, one question is uh, is a kind of a repeating over time, uh, giving the person who is asking the question the ownership of creating a, a document on your documentation uh, base. And yeah, and also pay a lot of attention on how you structure the documentation because otherwise it's going to be really difficult to find what people are looking for. Brilliant, great answer, Gianluca. Julian. I, I remember, you know, two years ago and before with my post-it on the wall and, you know, being able to just uh, talk to anyone and just see the, you know, the status of project very clearly by just, you know, working around. Uh, yeah, that's all over and, and it's hard. Um, and personally, I, I, I went through a journey and I, uh, this journey is very, very far from over where I used to not be a big believer in writing a lot of things down, um, mostly because I found that those things are always obsolete. And, you know, it's like when you go on an open source project, you've got great documentation, up to date. This is wonderful, you know, everything you need. But when you go anywhere, you know, an internal project, an open source project, the doc has not been updated for five years, everything is wrong, and you basically have to figure it out. Actually, this, this is not helping. This is disturbing you from, from achieving your, your goal. And this was kind of my experience um, before, but I, I totally changed my mind. And I think that the, the first answer is that actually I believe we need even more information overload. I think that's a big, uh, that's a big change in, in, in distributed working. My observation for the last two years is that there is an incredible amount of time where I had a conversation with someone and then I had exactly the same conversation with another person two weeks later and again and again and again until the point where like, well done, something doesn't work. Before the, the information was spreading organically in the organization, it doesn't. So you need to write even more stuff down. At least this is my, my, my core belief. Now, the second problem is that I certainly think we as a company or I did not initially put enough thoughts into what is the right medium for those conversations. And there is a default stack for everyone, I feel, at least everyone I talk to, which is kind of Slack for talking, uh, probably Notion or Confluence for, for Wiki. Well, first, I've never seen a Wiki that is like properly well organized unless you actually hire people to do that for you. It's always a big mess. Um, and Slack, we tried very, very hard to come up with guidelines. Uh, we have some very strong guidelines. And even when people were applying that, we realized that it was not working for us. Uh, it gives the impression that the information is public and really it's not because the channels are not discoverable uh, in any way. So recently switched uh, a few months ago and trying a new thing and I'm not sure if that will be the end of the journey, but we actually 
went back to the roots of internet, uh, which is how did uh, distributed uh, teams used to work initially. They had forums built and board. Um, and we went back to that. And that's actually really interesting what that instantly enabled for us um, because this is a lot less noisy than Slack. Because in Slack, you've got a thread. How do you know if the thread is interesting? You have to read it. There's no title. You, know, you just have to read these five lines of messages to decide if that's something you want to uh, dig into or not. Whereas uh, in a forum, there is a title. The title tells you something uh, already that is a lot more than what you would get from, from uh, just you know, a long stream of uh, Slack messages. So we find that this kind of you know, structure the conversation a lot more. And also, it changed the cadence, but in a good way. It slowed things down. And we think this is good, because the problem with Slack is like, oh, if I'm not jumping in a conversation right now, I am missing my chance. You know, tomorrow, it's over. Everybody kind of replies synchronously. So we're trying to structure the conversation a lot more synchronously uh, with uh, topics. And um, what we did observe so far uh, is that it actually creates a lot more links in the organization uh, because it's a lot easier for people to filter what they're interested about and start subscribing to specific topics. So um, we're very interested in, in, in that idea going forward. We're using Discourse, which is open source software, to do that. Uh, we have a lot more to learn about it. But um, we basically, at least in engineering, we switch a vast amount of information, of communication from Slack or Notion to this uh, recently with reasonably good success. Um, we're not sure yet exactly where the boundaries are. Um, but the thing that is interesting also about this approach is that it reintroduced something that was lost in either Slack or, um, or Notion, I feel, or conference, which is notion of time, as in a topic was posted very clearly at a specific you know, date, which means it doesn't lie. You know, it doesn't tell you, hey, this is what is true today, which tends to be what happened with, with uh, uh, Confluence or, or, or Notion. It's just tell you, at one point in time, we had that conversation. Um, and and suddenly that totally changed your relationship to the information. This is like okay, they thought about that at this time. That may be true. That may not be true. We don't know. You know, we can you know can ask follow-up question. Uh, whereas the wiki tends to be how, you know, presumably if it's written, this is the truth. No, it's not. So at least for us, this is kind of experimenting with some of those um, aspects. Brilliant, Julian. It's nice to see you using all the tool of the internet in an effective modern way. It's a great tip. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think look to add there, there was some really good feedback in terms of things like documentation and clearly that becomes that, that does become really important and no matter, and no matter what your view was in it before the pandemic or before you were working remotely. I, I think that has to change because especially onboarding people um, that becomes a lot more of a challenge, you know, people need to be able to kind of understand and get up to speed quickly and that, remotely that is that is more of a challenge. Guidelines were certainly something that has been mentioned as well that we have adopted. Um, like I said, it's things like Slack, they are a challenge. Uh, we've used statuses, for example, on Slack to help identify what people are doing. You know, are they in a focus time? Are they out on lunch? So you can start to gauge kind of response times for start to start off with, and also whether you should be trying to engage them in the first place. You know, we've all had the experience of being in the office where you've got one of your engineers with headphones on, which was the the default. Uh, kind of um, action of somebody that just didn't want it to be disturbed for a while. They were in the zone, which is absolutely fine. But obviously, remotely, you you can't really uh, you can't really kind of understand that unless you kind of give some sort of um, 
way to kind of convey that status. And and certainly Slack is a, is a means by which we're doing it. Perhaps we're slightly fortuitous that we are slightly smaller. So we're only 25 individuals in our business right now. So maybe that makes it more manageable. And as we scale, that'll be something we have to think about in a bit more detail uh, as we kind of continue to grow. There are some tools out there for people, one called Clockwise, you can give it a try. It, it enables you to kind of not only manage your meetings, but it also manages um, things like Slack statuses as well, which is which is quite a good thing. And it does impose things like um, focus time. So you can say how much time focus time you want on a given daily basis. So again, that that helps remove some of the some of the noise. I think things that we've we've worked quite heavily on are making sure that we've got a clear and concise vision that we promote to the team. So they understand exactly what our goals and objectives are you know, on an ongoing basis. So there's no, there's no confusion. There's never any kind of noise going around the business about something else being more important. We, we are really active uh, in making sure that we almost over communicate what our vision is, what our goals are, what are the current quarter objectives and where, where we're at in that journey. And I think that's, that's you know, one of the key things. I think uh, Ashok's question was also slightly around kind of roles and we've, we've implemented a couple of, I guess, very simple coordination roles. So We've got delivery lead roles, which are, I guess, a combination of kind of Scrum Master plus it, it really is focused on kind of coordinating that delivery aspect within the team and making sure that everyone's aligned. So for one person, obviously, um, who and that role will be rotated, I should add, that role's rotated on a given normally about a weekly or fortnightly basis, but it means that one person is given that implied focus. So they, they kind of have to deal with the noise during that period of time, but the rest of the team kind of just get on with the job until they're contacted by that individual. We also have things like release master roles as well. So... For example, making sure that you know over a few days, it might be three days before they rotate to the next person, but that person is is kind of just generally just releasing uh, code to production. So again, just trying to reduce the noise, the the overload of trying to coordinate and understand what's going on across multiple teams. We we hand that to a couple of individuals that met, they rotate ongoing, versus trying to make twenty five people do that ongoing, which is which is a lot of noise, you know, to be quite honest. And I think the last one for me was really just you know making sure the team help define the guidelines and principles by which they want to be in which they want to operate it's it's one thing as a kind of a, as a leader within a business to say this is this is how you could look at it but it's only ever going to be adopted if if, if the people within the team are actually considering it in the first place and i think that's where guidelines and principles are good um but certainly i think to the point that have already been made by um julian for example is principles and guidelines are only as good as uh, the person that remembers to use them at that point in time um, and I think they can fall up, can, they can fall short, but at least they offer you something to, to kind of talk around with inside retrospectives, for example, where you can start to say to people, hey, I noticed, you know, this was happening. And that, that kind of goes against what we what we believe as a team. So at least you can reinforce back the team again that there's, there's something that we can maybe do a bit better to kind of reduce that, reduce that over, um, overload of information on, on, on the team as a whole. Brilliant, Andy. Um, anything to add? on all the answers there, Ashok? Uh, I think that's uh, a lot of good, interesting uh, techniques and tips from, from everybody. Uh, I think the there is uh, one of the things that still find is a challenge is around discoverability uh, and trying to figure out which, you know, what information is more important than, than, than something else, right? So one of the things that we have done in addition to a, a lot of the other tips shared is about if something is important, figure out we actually have to repeat it multiple times in different forums so things like the the overall like uh, what andy and, and julie were talking about like the overall, like mission of mission of the company the direction which you're going in yeah that has to be repeated multiple times and sometimes we realize at the start of the pandemic when we had when we had shifted uh, to being remote 
we found that people, everyone would jump on onto like a single, like a town hall or forum because people were curious and want to know. Now with fatigue sort of setting in, might find maybe not everybody does, or actually people are doing some other things and they can't really uh, jump on the same forum. So you almost have to find multiple forums and make sure that that information, you might find uh, you're still repeating yourself multiple times, as Julian mentioned, it's something that's quite common, but actually that is necessary. Uh, if it's important enough, then you have to repeat it at least three times to make sure you try and reach the widest, uh, widest audience. There's just one uh, uh, tip uh, I found, I think in terms of tooling that's come out quite well is, uh, so for threads right now, as we use uh, G Suite, uh, so Google Chat actually does, uh, has started, uh, they've applied some machine learning right now to get summaries of threads. So I, it's a common problem, I think, when you have like lo loads of threads, which one do you want to like? So now it's a nice sort of summarization that you get right now at the top of the thread, which is quite nice. Fantastic, some innovative answers in there. Hope, hope you enjoyed them, Ashok. Um, over to you, Gianluca, with your question. Mm -hmm. Um, yep, thank you, Michael. Um, yeah, um, something that uh, um, it was a, a challenge for us at the beginning of the pandemic uh, was that with a lot of virtual meetings and the synchronous work, uh, I think the lack of the body language and uh, um, cross of the room glances made that the, uh, the trust uh, even more an important part of the culture and also uh, quite a challenging things to achieve. So how do you promote uh, a culture of trust uh, and open communication uh, in a remote uh, uh, team? Julian, do you want to start with this one? So there are several things we're trying to do on our side. Um, the first thing is that we ask people by default actually to always turn the video on uh, because we do think actually this, uh, uh, you, you can read a lot uh, you know, through people's face and uh, um, I know that, for example, this is not the case with some companies. Like we work with some third parties, uh, and like you know, everybody's off, and it's like really weird. Like I, I, I personally hate it. So obviously, you know, people um, may have reasons to not turn on the, the the video on, but for us, by default, we really care. We're setting expectations. You know, we were expecting you most of the time to to be online to to help with that. Um, and actually, one thing I also did observe is that. In, in some way also, uh, it helps more than before in the sense now you can actually see 10 people in one time uh, on your screen. So if you're really paying attention, you, you, can, get, uh, you can get some interesting uh, cues, but you, know, you do have to do you know, active listening or in that case, acting viewing and really pay attention. I think that's, that's, uh, that's also one of the biggest problem with uh, video conferences that uh, God, we, 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 you know, at some point or another, all of us are, uh, you know, doing something else during the meeting. It's just very, uh, <laughs> very, uh, very easy to just disconnect. Um, but maybe, you know, addressing more like the, the, the trust and open communication. I think the, the other thing that we're trying to encourage is just having uh, a culture of feedback. Uh, so we do provide feedback training on people, um, to people. We, we do, um, we do try to, you know, we'd ask people to um, express their feeling in particular where, uh, when they feel that, you know, something didn't go the, the way, uh, the way they want. Um, this is hard work uh, because people certainly, you know, at least I'm including myself in that, like are not necessarily always comfortable with that. 
uh, it's certainly a lot easier uh, in general to give feedback to people that report to you than you know to your uh, boss or to your uh, to your peers. Um, but we try, and I think we you know that that has to start from the top. Um, that has to you, you know your, your leaders in the organization have to really lead everybody from the front otherwise that will never develop um and and that's a lot harder so you know if you're within a team if you want to develop that that has to start with you know the engineering manager or you know whoever the leaders are uh, for that team i feel um otherwise they will just die down as as quickly as uh, as it appeared um so i think i think that's that's really important really encouraging people to just um you know say what they think but in a very respectful way and more importantly say you know i you know i was hurt or something and, and and for them to explain why and to provide them the tool to do that in in a good and constructive ways and they're definitely uh, best practice around that this is not something that uh, anyone has to invent perfect thanks julian over to you andy yeah, I think from my side, I think let's really reinforce Julian's point. Transparency and, and trust within organization has to be has to stem from the very stop. You know, it, it has to be that your CEO, your CTO, whoever the leaders are in that organization have to be showcasing the, the, the traits that they want to see from their teams. Uh, otherwise, it's, it, it's just never going to happen. And you need to create a culture and environment where people are not afraid of recrimination for being honest. And to do that, I'd always say that positive reinforcement of the behaviors and traits that you want to see other way to do that so recognize people when they're honest you know i i had one of the guys on my team flag up to us the other day that actually what he what he was working on he just didn't see how one it was going to be delivered in time but secondly he just he he thought technically it was you know just too complex and he, you know he flagged up to himself flagged at ceo and i was like great that's exactly what we want to hear and earlier as well you know that's perfect for us let's have a conversation around it so it's exactly those sort of traits that you, you kind of when people show that you know make them aware that they've done the right thing I think it's also clear that not everybody is going to be confident enough, you know, initially, and you need to build, you know, you need, you need to build trust with people. So things like anonymous surveys or pulse checks are a good mechanism to try and collect that kind of feedback. And what's key is not just collecting it, but responding to it, trying to deal with it. So yes, you don't know who it's come from, but if there's a genuine piece of information, which is, is, is worthwhile you um, actioning, then action it, make it really clear that, Hey, you are listening to people. And that just reinforces that you are trustworthy in the first place. Um, that actually when people do want to talk about something, you will listen. And I think that's 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 a really powerful tool to kind of give to your teams is the sense that they can make a difference if they do communicate to you in the first place. We've mentioned things like 360 reviews, and that's something that we are actually going through right now as it goes. Um, so making sure that we're kind of giving feedback, not just to peers or to, to kind of employees, you know, members of your team, but also to your manager or maybe to, to the kind of CEO of the business and, and making sure that it's, it's widely received across the business that feedback is is a good thing not it should never be seen as a negative as well it should be something that here's an opportunity not here's something you're doing badly um and the last point i'd probably make as well is around recruitment you know recruitment is a really powerful tool if you want to bring in certain behaviors and traits within an organization if you want to kind of um you want to kind of showcase those behaviors and traits then hey recruitment is a is a means by which you can start bringing people into the organization over time that, that showcase that and that that knowledge and experience can cross pollinate across the team and that's another mechanism which you can use over time to kind of just reinforce those cultural behaviors that you're really looking for especially around trust and uh, openness thanks andy ashok what are your thoughts on this yeah 
so curiously, I think for this, uh, my view on this is uh, irrespective of whether we're in a in a world where we were co-located or you know virtual, there is trust is something that has to be earned, and you have to sort of almost you sort of, you have to live the values of the organization, uh, and people sort of be able to sort of see that visibly. Uh, and the visibility of that used to be easier previously because people will observe behaviors uh, even if you're not on the same team uh, and so on. But now you almost have to make that additional effort to make those behaviors more visible. Uh, I think one thing, yeah, it's a great point by, by both Julian and, and Andy. I think the uh, I would definitely echo this thing around anonymous surveys uh, as a great way to sort of try and actually understand that retrospectives within teams is a good is a, is another sort of good way to make sure that that's there and that it's the regular cadence of that and making sure that not only are you sort of getting the feedback you're actually acting on that and the acting part of it on the feedback is really the important thing over there uh, i think the just one additional thing i would add on that is around vulnerability it's a hard thing and it's a very difficult thing for people for uh, you know, in any sort of uh, in an environment where you where you don't feel that high degree of trust, people try and hide it, but actually you have to try and make sure you try and expose it as much as possible, uh, and to say that actually it's okay, right? Because you know almost everything we sort of know that you know anything in this world it's not a it's not an individual endeavor, it is a team game, and uh, in a team game, if you don't really understand the kinds of things that other people would need help with, uh, it's not possible to offer that help. And trying to make sure that, that vulnerability is is clear enough to others in the team as well as to uh, and to others in the organization. That's sort of one way to to try and make sure that that trust level can be increased. Uh, I, I just like uh, this thing. There's a uh, the CEO of uh, of Shopify, I think he had called uh, something, he called it like the trust battery. Uh, this is a phrase that he'd used. Uh, like normally the trust battery for anyone who joins, like assume it's like only, it's only gonna be half full. So if you're not really actively working to sort of charge it, it is going to get discharged fairly quickly. So, and these are all the things that I think my, uh, the, like uh, Julian and Andy uh, have shared. I think those are ways to try and make sure that you are continuously sort of charging the trust battery. Perfect. Thanks, Ashok. And yourself, Gianluca, how do you promote our culture and trust with open communication? Yeah, I think uh, everyone made a really good uh, point. Uh, and I think for us, uh, it's really important to start from the uh, from the hiring process, uh, like to um, transparent, uh, yeah, to make visible like the open uh, uh, the open communication culture that we have in the company. And uh, also then uh, when uh, they start working with us, uh, uh, make sure that we give them uh, um, quick feedbacks. So don't wait too long to give them uh, uh, feedback so they can act on, on the feedback. And then also when you gather feedback, then uh, take action as soon as possible. And, uh, uh, and also be um, also an example. Uh, so when someone give you feedback, uh, uh, try to, to, to take them on board and and make some improvements and um yeah uh make a kind of the being like the the example for other uh especially when you are in a leadership uh, 
position from the CEO to the CTO as it's important to be also transparent on what's going on on the company. Uh, that's a really big uh, impact on the how people perceive the, 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 the communication they can have with, uh, with uh, you. Brilliant. And last not but least, Julian, with your question, we are running in alphabetical order, so take it away. Yes, yeah, so I want to uh, chat uh, about you know, the companies that have been uh, distributed for you know sometimes 10 or 15 years and one of them is Automatic which is the uh, company behind WordPress. They're probably one of the biggest if not the biggest fully distributed company um, and their founder Matt Mullenberg um, wrote um, about the different uh, levels of maturity and to, to become distributed. And what he proposes is that working asynchronously is really key to become fully effective. So my question is, how do we encourage engineering organization to really shift from you know, the previous, the pre-pandemic mindset for most of us to working distributely, uh, sorry, working asynchronously and really uh, getting the maximum value from, from, from this uh, new uh, ways of working. Sure, I think this is a, a really pertinent question, actually. And I, the, the answer in short is that there's a there's a lot to be done. Um, and I think it's an ongoing process to continue to improve that and, and work out what flavor, I guess, really works for your team. Uh, every team's obviously makeup is completely different. Things that we've found work really well is, you know, we mentioned kind of clear vision and direction, but I, I, again, just to reinforce that, and I think that really applies to this, this kind of question as well is, having a really strong vision and direction, uh, you know, enables people to kind of understand how they can pull together and how they can work in, you know, in their role to kind of deliver against that. So that's one of the first steps. And we certainly use uh, objectives and key results, OKRs to kind of enable that. So we've got a really strong North Star, but we then set our quarterly level company um, objectives and key results. And we then allow the team to kind of work to uh innovate and drive out their own uh team level okrs that deliver against the the kind of the company OKRs. so they're kind of quite bought in they really understand what needs to happen how it needs to how it needs to be delivered at which point they they start to become a lot more empowered and i think one of the things that we are looking to try and enable this is is really around team empowerment um so instead of kind of like uh, feature-based teams is, is really trying to get a level of empowerment that enables them to operate asynchronously effectively uh other aspects i'd say would be utilizing Things like agile ceremonies so we've, we've spoken about retros before but they are an incredibly powerful tool to kind of get the the team to continue to reflect and learn and grow and i think that is a key mechanism by which you can start to identify challenges that you're facing around working and especially in, in you know trying to get them to work in a more asynchronous environment so a lot of times it is it is really trying to get the teams to understand it themselves when they once they understand there's a problem they can try and resolve it and it's these points of reflection that enable them to understand that there's a problem in the first place other aspects, mentoring and coaching, you know, when you see it, it's the points we made earlier on, continual feedback, punctual feedback is always the right thing to be doing. So making sure that they kind of understand that, hey, this is this is not an approach which I'd really recommend. Why wouldn't you, you know, why don't you try this? What do you think? And having a bit of dialogue about that. Another aspect would be that if you're working on maybe like bigger initiatives, for example, we've we've looked at things like, you know, making sure we've got good flow diagrams. So really people understand all the moving parts of a given initiative and what parts can be worked on without other dependencies or how they can operate to try and deliver a, a big projects in, in more of a parallel fashion. And I think 
those sort of aspects really, really help. Um, and that's there have been some of the key things that we've done, including things like uh, you know, really trying to push that small iterative releases and making sure that we can continue to deliver through our production environment as often as possible. All these little things, I think, really help that process. But uh, I don't think there's a silver bullet for this one. But I think there is a, a lot of small things you can do to kind of, you know, really move it in it, move it on in that journey. Thanks, Andy. Oh, over to you, Shark. Yeah, I think this is this is a so much about behavior uh, and sort of really trying to understand uh, what motivates people. So uh, I think one of the things that uh, uh, we've done is part, it's about, uh, so we sent, sent this questionnaire out to people, which is about uh, what are the kinds of things that they do, like uh, what are the kinds of things they do more now because it's easier to do when they're working from home and they'd never ever come to the office for that. Uh, like the second question was, you know, what are the kinds of things that you would do at home, but it's a bit harder than it was when it was in the office. Uh, uh, some things people struggle to do at home, right? An office would be right for that kind of work. And there are some things which are like, it's hard irrespective of whether you're home or the office doesn't matter. So it's like almost of starting from that to say, well, okay, now working patterns are changing. The kinds of things that people do are changing. Uh, maybe the way we've interacted also has has changed and evolved as well. And trying to figure out which ones of those people really want to continue doing uh, and where people might be at different points in time in their overall journey as well, and for the kind of role that they're doing. So really understanding that for the kinds of tasks that, that people are meant to do can really uh, help sort of come up with what is effective or right for that particular organization. Uh, I think it's it's hard because people have uh, expectations like you know when you hire someone new who's a, who is early on in their career, what they would actually expect uh, and how they learn versus someone who is knows how to do their job and a bit later on in the career or has got other commitments. They're very very different things. Uh, so I think that's probably there to like have it maybe like uh, open to the entire organization to be able to come up with what is right for, uh, you know, what is the right kind of style or approach for them? Perfect. Thanks, Ashok. Over to you, Gianluca. Yeah, I think uh, for us, uh, it's really important like, to keep uh, improving in the way we are uh, working. So we do often uh, some retrospective uh, on specific topics. Uh, and uh, one is also around uh, how we communicate. Uh, so trying to remove the synchronicity around the, the, the communication. So be really mindful about when you are setting a, a meeting, if you really need to have uh, all these people uh, in at the same time in a, in a Zoom call, and instead if you can collaborate uh, on, a, on a document. So be really mindful about the time that people needs to be in the same uh, uh, virtual room. Uh, so I try to avoid it to uh, move the behavior that we had before the pandemic also on, on, a, on a virtual space. It's, it's really important. Also because it gives the ability of people to manage better their time. Maybe they are parents, so they have kids that they need to take care of. Maybe they can work better during the, the evening and spend the time during the day in a different way. So trying to find a um, way to enable to uh, people to do their best job in the, at the best time. Um, and not at the same time, making sure that they are uh, um, they, they can participate uh, 
especially when uh, uh, you are generating new idea, working on new features, so you take into account that the, 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 the idea and the opinion of everyone. And I think there is also a good point about working on, on, in, a, in a synchronous way, because uh, it gives us opportunity to more junior people, maybe uh, they're not so comfortable on speaking up on a, on a, on a meeting, because uh, writing maybe on a, on a document, uh, it's a bit uh, easier for them than speaking up in a, in, a, in a meeting with many people. Brilliant. Thanks, Enrico. Over to you, Julia. Yes, those are great insights. And I think um, Andy said uh, something I thought was really interesting, which is, you know, when, once people understand the problem, then they can, they can act on it. And um, my personal journey through, you know, working 100% collocated to uh, distributed um, is that A, certainly two years ago, I, I did not realize there was a problem and I'm just starting to realize there is a problem and I can feel that in my organization, actually this is this is not something that people um, really think there is opportunity. Um, and I'm really fascinated by that because if you look actually at all the fully distributed company, they all ended up in the same place with the same advice, which is really have to be a synchronous for that uh, to work. And and my observation is that if if you don't uh, if you're not very deliberate about uh, you know introducing some constraints or forcing function to your organization, uh, then you're going to stay with a very collocated mindset. Uh, in the sense, you know, if you're, you know, based in London or in the UK, your work hours are pretty much, you know, uh, nine to five, nine to six for all you people, right? Some people are gonna you know, drop their kids in the morning, etc. But that there's no, there's no, there's nothing that is forcing you to to fundamentally change your your patterns. If you start uh, really working with people or teams that are in totally different time zones, uh, then obviously those things brings problem but it also brings opportunities um and i think this is where this is where you have to really embrace this shift towards um asynchronous communication um one one of the thing i think is um is lacking in in the industry certainly in my team and that we're trying to push is also what is the right way to communicate uh, in an asynchronous world. And um, recently I was uh, learning a lot about uh, low context communication, which I think is uh, incredibly important. So how do you share all the context that someone needs to really be able to provide, you know, incredibly thoughtful answer instead of just, oh, and what if? Because I think that's that's kind of the habit that we tend to have uh, in in a collocated space. You know, you go at the coffee machine, you just have a chat, right? And that's just you know, tack 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 tack. That doesn't work when you're several hours away. So you really have to totally change your habits around um, how much uh, you know written stuff you do and how much context you provide to people. And I think that's uh, certainly one one area we try uh, again to experiment with things and see how that will help us uh, working better together. Fantastic. Well, we've been on for nearly 75 minutes now, so hopefully it's jam-packed with information, tips, challenges about remote working, and in some cases, the remote struggle. <laughs> so does anyone have any final points or wants to add anything on the top up topics we've discussed? Perfect. Well, we'll leave it there. The key things I took from the conversation, working from home, different strategies and tools employed, 
building trust, remove emotion, understand your team. Um, collaboration is key in any business, especially with fully remote and hybrid teams. Great answers to promoting a culture of trust in a remote working environment and, and including the tools as well, some great tips from everyone on different tools on how to improve the, the sort of remote working structure. So it's been an absolute pleasure to have you all on. I'm sure you're, uh, you're all busy with the rest of the day. Um, so this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to thank Andy, Ashok, Gianluca and Julian for providing their insights into the topic. And thank you very, very much for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of our up-and-coming podcasts, please reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or email me at michael.sullivan at evolution-contract.co.uk. Cheers.